Ephesians chapter 5, verses 32 and 33. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let us pray. Father, we are here because you have gathered us here. You have gathered us here to worship you. And yet this is not a selfish desire that you are asking of us because it is what we were made for and where we find our meaning, our purpose, our delight. Thank you, Lord, that you give us songs with which we can sing to you and remember who you are. And we thank you for giving us your word. That we might know you. More than we could ever know from nature. By nature we can know that you exist. And you are creator. But through your word. We understand that you are holy. And you love us. And have redeemed us from our sins. And so, Lord, be with us now. Holy Spirit, turn the eyes of our heart to our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we might take him in, see what he has done, and find all meaning and all purpose. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, uh, We've arrived at the end of our series on marriage, and I hope it has been profitable for you, uh, whether you're married or single, and that it hasn't been confusing. But if it has been confusing, well, Paul right here says it's a profound mystery, so don't worry. You're in good company. But at the end of our study, we find ourselves back at the beginning, asking what is marriage ultimately about? We said that the purpose is to help our spouse see and follow Jesus. And our, today, our passage today gives one last practical command for husbands and for wives to do that and then teaches us what marriage is really all about. So our points for today are husband, love your wife, wife, Respect your husband. And lastly, Christ and his church. And, all right, I am hanging on. And, nope, not it. No jets, no giants. That's right. Who cares? <laughs> so we have far. <laughs> But you can agree that we have far better things to care about, don't we, Bernie? <laughs> Silence. <laughs> Husband, love your wife. And at the end of this entire passage on wives and husbands, why is this what Paul is telling husbands to do? I mean, this seems like a no-brainer. Love your wife. Duh. You married her, didn't you? 
But there's a qualifier. Each one of you also must love his wife, not stop, as he loves himself. And that right there is the big difference. Because no one knows how to love you better than you do. You are the world's expert and authority on loving yourself. You know the food that you like to eat. You know the rest that you like to have, the entertainment that you gravitate toward, the stress that you have in work. You know what it means to love yourself. But as John mentioned a few weeks ago, it's about applying that, applying that immense knowledge and mastery of you and your desires and putting that toward the wife that the Lord has given you and loving her as well as you love yourself. And now against that standard, who could stand and say, oh yeah, I do that. I do that pretty well. In fact, I'm so confident that I'll let my wife speak for me and say that, yeah, lots of you laughing. So, because who could say that? <laughs> a little late. Who could say that? Now, I'm going to speak in some generalities, and I don't intend, I don't want you to get offended if I'm not describing you. Generalities are helpful for us to see and go forth and just discuss principles. It might be that it, the, it is the husband in the relationship that wants what the passage is talking about here and the wife who wants what the husband is, uh, how the husband is described. But let's speak in generalities in what, this, in what Scripture is telling us. Husband, love your wife. And who is your wife? Well, from Genesis, we see that she was created for strong help. Adam you know, just all the animals out there and all that God had given him, and yet still he was lonely. And what did God create for him? Who did God create from him? From his own side. Eve. As a strong helper. Eben Ezer. All right? Not just helper, not just assistant. I got a lot of laughs when I said not just assistant like pastor, all right? So, you know, this is something good, all right? Strong help. Help that you cannot do without. Indispensable help. Which means that the woman was created for relationship. All right? And to find her value. In fact, you know, there's, there's a, one study, one psychologist who asked lots of women, how do you describe yourself? And women would describe themselves in their deep relationships. That that is how they saw themselves. And we see that that is just consistent with Genesis. All right, so don't worry that modern psychology about it ever coming and telling you, oh, something that we never knew. We can turn to Scripture, and we have psychologists here and counselors here who will attest to that and say there is nothing that Scripture hasn't already taught us. And so the woman was created to be the strong helper to man, because the man can't do what he was made to do alone. 
They were both made to subdue the earth, to establish dominion over the earth that God had made, each in their own way. But why is it hard? Well, one reason that it's hard, husbands, to love your wives is that sin has entered the world. And the curse that entered through the fall on women, you know, we often think of it in terms of, oh, pain in childbearing. But that was just talking about one aspect of the curse. Because if all there is in the curse on women is pain in childbearing, all women have to do is avoid getting pregnant and, hey, no effect of the curse. But it isn't just that. It's that the woman's relationships, her deep relationships are corrupted, even down to having her child. I don't know what childbirth would have looked like before the fall, but we know that pain is how she brings life into the world. But Scripture also says, Genesis also says that the woman's desire will be for her husband, meaning that she will want to be in charge. She will want to rule over him, not be the helper, not be, to be the strong helper, but to be the one who is put first, first and foremost in the relationship, and that she will be frustrated because she will not get that. And so the curse, sin, makes it hard Husbands, for you to love your wives. Wives, respect your husband. Now, in this feminist world that we live in, I wanted to say post-feminist, but I can't really find evidence to say that we're post. Um, just where women are supposed to be the complete equal of men in every way. And scripture would say that women are the equal of men in status and dignity before God himself. God does not view anyone as greater or lesser. But to have this just flattening out of men and women, you know, we see this actually in the HBO series Sex and the City, all right, because it follows four women who go around trying to act and sleep around and have sex as if they were men. All right, that's the very premise of the show. You don't need to watch it. I've explained everything that you need to know about the show. All right? And so right at the beginning, it's the supposition. What about us living the way guys sleep around and are able to just shake it off and go into another relationship? And I'm here telling you that that's not what any of us were made for, least of all women. Wives, why respect for your husbands? Well, one, again, it's because of how men were created. Right? Men were created for accomplishment. Adam was told, go, subdue the earth. Go, work the garden. Go, name all these animals. And so he sees himself this way. He sees this, himself as someone who goes out and just asserts himself himself on things and makes things happen. And man, that's a that's a wonderful thing. Don't you want this 
of anybody. Don't you want this of strong men? Right? Men who have gone forth and done great science and engineering. Right? Made wonderful buildings and harnessed the atom. Right? And then you see that there is God-given just command to do this in man's makeup. But why is it hard to respect your husband? Well, I'll tell you, it's even hard for your husband to respect himself. Because the curse has ruined his work. And I don't think there's anyone sitting here who would challenge the assertion that your work is ruined because of sin and sinners. Imagine you didn't have to deal with your own weaknesses and sin. Imagine if you didn't have to deal with other sinners in work. Show me a job like that. I'll show you someone who's happy. And work. The ground is cursed. So previously when man worked, the ground was productive. Things happened when he applied himself. But now it will frustrate him. He will labor and it will not produce. And eventually, work will kill him. And for the man who understands himself in terms of achievements and accomplishments, sees that he doesn't accomplish what he wants to. And sees other people see that he doesn't accomplish what he desires. If you want any evidence of what I'm talking about, all you have to do is look at any luxury car commercial where it just paints this picture. You have achieved. You have made something of yourself. Now let everyone know it with the car you drive. Because it'll be great if you drive a car that 100,000 other people are going to drive to say the same thing about themselves. Or, last week, I was working out with the Morgans at the gym. All right? And we were all on the treadmill. And I couldn't help, but, and I'm not going to say which Morgan was next to me. I don't know if it's elder female Morgan who would make me look more embarrassed in this situation, or even elder male Morgan. But I was standing, running next to on the treadmill, and I couldn't help but look over and see the speed at which they were running. And so I'd plus up. But then I said I'd do intervals, all right? I'd go higher than that speed and lower because I read that intervals are better for your heart, all right? So just mass stress on your heart and then, you know, just reduction. But this Morkin kept on adjusting and raising speed. And so my comparison of myself, which was flattering myself, saying that my aggregate speed is higher than this Morkin, is now getting whittled away until the point where I recognize that this Morgan's overall speed and distance run and calories expended was greater than my own. What idiot thinks about these things? So, men measure themselves in what they do. And so our failures and our shortcomings make it hard, wise, for you to re respect your husband. But there's an even bigger reason 
that you husbands have a hard time, that you wives have a hard time. And it is a reason common to all. It's not just in marriage, is it? It's all people, single, teenager, widow, divorced, you know, just celibate. It doesn't matter. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, is how Judges says it. This is the condemnation on the people of Israel. God saying, your biggest failing and shortcoming is you doing what you want to do and not having any concern at all of what I, the Lord God, want you to do. You know, just, so the curse, the biggest failing, is the sin in our own hearts. It makes it impossible to, for you, husband, to love your wife the way that she needs. It makes it impossible for you, wife, to respect your husband the way he needs. And it makes it impossible, children, brothers, sisters, for you to really love and respect anybody else. Because at your core, you desire what you desire. You want what is right in your own eyes. And if your eyes are corrupt, and if your heart is corrupt, then you have no chance of being one who can love and respect others. So where do we find the reason? All right, men and women, brothers and sisters, where do we find the reason, the power, the everyday motivation to love and respect at all? And we get to the whole point of what Paul has been writing about and what Scripture teaches us. But I am talking about Christ and the church. You see, at the end of all things, when God is victorious over Satan, and the end of all time is happening, and the new glorious eternal celebration is being ushered in, where those whom Christ has bought for with his blood are with him forever, what is the picture that is being described? Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The picture of this eternal celebration where we are with our Savior and He is with us is that of a wedding celebration of Christ and His church. We are going to be singing as the bride of Christ. And I think that our sisters have an easier time picturing being a bride than we as men do. But, but here, tap your inner femininity because this is worth a worthy picture to have and to cherish. That the bridegroom who is worthy 
We will be singing all together. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. In fact, we'll all be singing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. It was never, ever just about your marriage. Your marriage and all your relationships are important, but their greatest importance lies in how they point you to your need for a Savior. See, if your greatest fulfillment in life would come from wealth, then God would have sent a financial counselor. If your greatest need in life were to have children, then God would have sent you a super nanny. If your greatest need was to get along with your spouse, then God would have sent along a marriage counselor or a referee. But your greatest need was for your pardon from sin. And so our God sends His Son as our Savior. It was never just about your marriage. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that, And He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. And so, now, the way that we used to live, of doing what was right in our own eyes, is now put on its head. And we are given the reason and the power and the motivation by seeing Jesus Christ and what He has done. What did He do? Knowing our need, He entered the world as one of us to be the answer for that need, to be our propitiation for sin. And to die for us on the cross. And now, having Him as our Savior, we can see that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for Him and Him alone who died for us and loved us. Remember our state, you know, and this relationship between Christ and the church, His bride. The bride was not worthy of her bridegroom. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ enters into the universe, into time and space, to make His bride radiant and holy, without blemish, fit for His presence, fit to be His bride by laying down His life. That's what, the past, that's what we studied before. Just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy. This is the love that we see. And then, what does the church do? What does His bride, the bride of Christ do? Because we're talking love and respect. You can see the love that Christ had for his church, right? What is the respect that the church offers up to her bridegroom? 
It is seeing fully what Jesus Christ has done, fully what the bridegroom has sacrificed in order to make her his bride, to see his death on the cross for her, and that respect is found in her faith to him, to turn aside from all other idols and all other gods and say, there is no one but me, for me, but you. You are my Savior and my Redeemer. And each of you, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, have said that in your life. And so if that's the great goal of marriage and all of our relationships, well then we find that Jesus Christ himself has given us the reason and the power to press on. Every day we rise and we worship our Savior as we read the Word and remember who, is, who it is that loved us while we were still sinners. And then that translates into all of our earthly relationships, including our precious marriages. You know, when I was 12 or so, I was introduced to the music of Keith Green who died before, you know, I was, well, not born, but certainly before I ever started listening to him. And uh, you, you'd love this guy, white guy with an afro. I mean, just, just loved him. Um, and there was one song that I loved deeply. I pledged my head to heaven. And it was Keith Green singing of how he wanted nothing else to distract him from his God. Even the best things that the earth had to offer. His intellect and ability. His son. Even his own precious wife. And so at the age of 12, 26 years, 16 years before I would ever even think, or not think, but I would ever get married, I learned to sing this song with hope. Will I pledge my head, I'm sorry, pledge my wife to heaven or the gospel? Though our love each passing day just seems to grow. As I told her when we wed, I'd surely rather be found dead than to love her more than the one who saved my soul. And I told Kim this when we met, and as our relationship was getting deeper. And that's not an easy pill for a woman to swallow. Unless that's her desire as well. Now I'm not saying that your marriages had to start off on that foot. Because even getting off on that great foot, let me tell you that Kim and I just mess up constantly every day. And every day have to learn to sing this song again. And every day learn to put our Savior first again. But when he is first in our own hearts, and when he is first in our marriage, then it's not about just the earthly dealings between a man and a woman. We have linked our marriage, we have linked our story into the marriage and the story of eternity that you are all embedded in, whether you are married or not. You are the bride of Christ because of what Christ has done.
you know. And then, now, we start getting into how we show this love to each other. Our, our spouses rescue us from all kinds of things we deserve to pay, don't they? All right, apart from their intervention, we have to lie in the beds we made. I can talk. I have talked about how Kim saved me from reckless spending, debt, and financial disaster. We are down to our last $10,000 of credit card debt. And in two or three months, we'll be done. I can talk about how I saved Kim's academic aspirations and how her master's degree, you know, I took a part in that, going to professors and asking for leniency and help and consideration. Or how my friends saved me from desperate loneliness after college. In so many ways, we save each other from small and significant things, don't we? But each rescue, each show of grace is a mere taste of how Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. You know, this extends to all human interaction, not just in marriage. You know, those of you who are supervisors and bosses, Ephesians chapter 6, right after, talks about how masters should treat their slaves as those in Christ, with dignity and respect, as brothers and sisters. And so do you look at your subordinates simply in terms of what they're supposed to do and accomplish for you? Or do you recognize the dignity that they have because God is their creator? Or subordinates, employees, is it so easy for you to join in with your fellow colleagues in just slamming your boss, forgetting that they too are those who are seeking to accomplish those two who have their dignity and respect on the line. Or teens. You know, how many of you push your mom away when she wants a hug and a kiss? Yeah, uh, one is honest, but I see smiles. Every, oh, you're, you're the worst. How many of you just ask what's for dinner without even thinking about asking how you can help? To engage in relationship with one who has given up everything to be in relationship with you? Or have you ever asked, uh, this one, I think that blank face I'm going to get, have you ever asked your moms and dads, how was work? Yeah, your parents are laughing. Do you even know what your parents do? And so this, you know, I, you know, the illustration I want to tell you, the greatest display of human love, you know, of an earthly marriage that I've seen in my life is my parents. Um, ten years ago, my mom was, or a little over now, my mother was brutally attacked in a robbery. You know, sustained life-threatening injuries, just brain trauma and... And we, for a month, didn't know if she was going to live or not. And throughout that time, didn't know if she lived, whether she would have any kind of quality of life, because her skull had been caved in. And, you know, miraculously, you know, just God showed mercy, and she made, she was, her pressure came down, 
in her uh, just her inner cranial pressure, and too much pressure will kill you. And so, just by bruising and swelling, that's what causes the pressure. The pressure came down, the swelling subsided, and it was going to be safe to take her off of the. Uh, they induced a coma because when you're awake, there's greater pressure and activity in your brain, and she wouldn't be able to take what what happened. And so they took her off the anesthesia and weaned her off of it. And, and uh, so after six weeks at least of being unconscious, she awakens. And we don't know what's there anymore, how much of my mom is still my mom. But when she opens her eyes, we're just desperate to just know how is she, who is she. And so then it starts to seem like she's responding to stimuli. She can't talk yet. Six weeks of not talking will do that to you. So I put a pad of paper and a pencil in her hand. And I ask my mom, Mama, who's that? And I point to my dad. And if she was able to write anything, and mind you, there's pain. Six weeks of arthritis and not bending. All right? And so she didn't have to comply. She might not have been able to comply. And I expected her to write in Korean the word for daddy, appa, because uh, first-generation Korean-Americans, they only address each other, kind of like how you might say uh, mother and father, and they don't use each other's names. Uh, and it's a cultural thing, you know. And wives actually never, almost never use their husband's name. And uh, husbands, eventually, when you're 60 years old, might use your wife's name, you know, because it's like, oh, she's put in her time. She deserves it. Or just... That's how my uncle described it to me. I'm not being, okay, I, I am being mean, but, you know, still, it's not my story. And I put the pen and pencil and asked my mom, who is that? She writes his name. Seeing her husband, the one who's desperate before her, she writes not just his position, or what he does, but in the most tender way writes who he is. She is he is this to her, and she writes that name. And I can tell you that in that moment, she was showing respect, the respect that her husband so desperately needed. My dad still has that little piece of paper. And then my mother continues to recover. And you know, then she's moved out of the severe ICUs, ICUs and regular ward. And, and now my dad is just getting up at 4.30 in the morning to get ready to go to the hospital to be with her. And I'm asking, Papa, why are you getting up so early? There are doctors and nurses there to take care of her. Sleep. And he says, I can't. Because she's waiting for me. My mom gets up at 5 in the morning, and she was just standing there. In the dark, she would stand in her, night in her hospital gown. The door closed, the lights out, but she would stand there waiting for her husband. Because she wanted him. She couldn't wait to be with him. And my father, knowing that his wife, waiting as a watchman waiting for the morning, was waiting for him. He loved his wife. 
and went to her. And it goes the other way. You know, again, this love and dignity thing, it's not just husbands love your wives and wives, you know, just respect your husbands. You know, just my, uh, my father, you know, just uh, my mom got bed sores, hard like this big in her rear. And, you know, and so just to address that, they carved out all the dead flesh and then they had to apply uh, silverdine, you know, this is antiseptic, antibiotic ointment to a lotion and then pack it in there to keep infection from setting in, to give flesh the chance to grow back. And just my father knew that my mom would be horrified to have to expose herself in nakedness to nurses and doctors every day, three times a day to get this done. So my dad said to the nurses and doctors, I've seen how to do it. I'll do it for her. Every day, every time, I'll do it for her. To protect her dignity. And so it was a husband respecting his wife, knowing what she needed. And a year after all of this, even after Kim and I were married and my mother was able to walk down the aisle and light the candle that we would use to, for a unity candle at our wedding, my mother said to me, I'm so glad I was alone when the robber came. Because if your father was here, I'm sure that he would have shot him dead. And so you see, then a wife, glad that she was able to lay down her life for her husband. Brothers and sisters, my parents have shown me this heroic love, but they are not anything special except that they have the same Holy Spirit living in your heart as, we, as they do. And you are, in small and in grand ways, able to and called to and empowered to and given reason to show such love for husband, for wife, for mother and father, brother and sister and friend. And so ask yourself, how do I help my loved one see Jesus and follow Jesus? You're right now, think of a loved one and where God has his finger on their lives. What words of encouragement or loving confrontation is God calling you to give? Before I cry anymore, we're going to end with just this last, last quote. John Piper wrote this in this momentary marriage, his picture, his paraphrase of just the great picture and revelation that we've already been shown. Very soon, the shadow will give way to reality. The partial will pass into the perfect. The foretaste will lead to the banquet. The troubled path will end in paradise. And a hundred candlelit evenings will come to their consummation in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this momentary marriage will be swallowed up by life. Christ will be all 
and in all. And the purpose of marriage will be complete. Let us pray. Father in heaven, marriage may be the greatest, greatest relationship that we can aspire to in this earthly life. And that thought excludes some, includes others, and yet still is not enough. But the fact that this greatest earthly relationship is this pale, tiny foreshadowing of the relationship that we are all brought into because of what Jesus, our Savior, has done. Let that be the enduring lesson of this series, our desire in all of our relationships, as we seek to deal seriously with each other in love and respect. Help us because we surely will fail. But show us and remind us once again of the grace that we have in Christ, that we might press on and once again love as Jesus Christ has loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.